Welcome to From the Trenches, the podcast of the Association of Pulmonary Cutting Care and Sleep Division Chiefs. My name is Naftali Kaminsky, and I'm your host. Today, our guest is Steve Dudek. He's the Chief of Pulmonary Critical Care Sleep Analogy at the University of Illinois, Chicago. He's also a professor of medicine there, and he's also and really important and relevant for the first episode of the year, the outgoing president of APCCSD. I met with Steve before the ATS conference in DC last year, and we had a very interesting discussion in which you'll hear some things you didn't know about him. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Steve Dudek. Uh, is it okay that I call you Steve? Absolutely. So really, as long as I could call you Naftali. <laughs> yeah, please call me Naftali. <laughs> and uh, so, really excited to have you here. As you know, this podcast sort of aims to be a resource for current chief, but more importantly, demystify the job of uh, chiefs and leadership uh, for all of our community members. One of the things that we've gotten used to do is actually to make people more familiar. You know, a lot of people are familiar with your leadership positions, definitely with your scientific work, but they don't know much about you. So is there something you could tell us that we don't know and maybe we should know? I don't know how uh, how many people know this. Some some do. But one of the things that I enjoy doing is, is running and long distance running. And this started during my fellowship, actually. I had a good friend who... He was training for a marathon and, you know, I was late twenties or so and decided I needed to start being a little healthier. And, uh, up to that point, I'd been playing a lot of basketball, pick up basketball all the time. But, you know, as you get older, it's harder to find the time and enough people to do that at least often enough to stay in shape. So I thought, okay, running, I'd never you know, done track or long distance running or anything before that. I said, well, I'll, I'll train with you. That sounds good. And he said, well, if you're going to do all the training, you should, you should run the marathon. So we registered for the marathon. The first one I did was the New York City Marathon in the late 90s. And, oh, wow. uh, I got the bug and I've run 17 marathons now. I try to do about one a year. And it really has become my sort of go-to therapeutic, both physically and uh, mentally. You know, that this is my mindfulness kind of activity. I don't wear a headset. I go outside in the worst weather just to kind of meld with the environment. It's really wonderful. And, and you know, I take some inspiration from a, one of the previous chiefs here at, at UIC is a, a guy named Mel Lapata. Mel was chief for about 20 years. Mel is in his early 80s. Mel is still running. He's run about 50 marathons. He's not running marathons any longer, but still uh, swims every day and, and runs along the lakefront. And, and good enough for Mel, it certainly seems like something that, that I'd like to continue doing as well. Wow, that's really impressive and inspiring. I did uh, retire from basketball 10 years ago when uh, everybody younger than me in one game was injured. And I said, okay, if I can walk off the court, that's it. It's my last time. Um, yeah, you know, before we move on, I, I, I was still playing pickup to about 10 years ago or so. And I and I was playing with you know, basically a bunch of students who are about 20 years younger. And somebody bailed into me. I tried to take a charge and it essentially broke my rib. Oh, <laughs> that's all right. Getting two holds for this. No more, no more rib fractures playing basketball. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll, I will ask you one more question about the marathons, just because it's so running marathons requires a really serious exercising. So, how do you fit this? Because, right, your your schedule is crazy, right? You're really busy, right? So, how do you fit this into your day or your week? It, it is not easy, and I do not uh, train at a level that would be optimal in terms of the number of times a week. You know, it should be four or five times running a week, and, and there are many weeks where it may only be one or two 
uh, if I'm servicing the ICU or things like that. But again, it's something if I don't do it for a few days, I start to feel a little <laughs> antsy. So it, it really is it's therapeutic for me. I really like to do it outside. So only in the worst weather will I get out of treadmill. So it's it's usually in the in the mornings or when the weather's nicer and the summer I go out in the evening. And, but it but it is difficult and and um, over the years I've gotten slower and I'm not training as much as I should. So one of my secrets is I, I just don't push it too much. And I'm for some of the longer runs I'll you know there'll there'll be some walking there when I get up to 15, 20 miles. But you know it's it's more again for the kind of mental and physical well-being at this point, not to break any records because I'm, I'm too old for that. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I think there's, yeah, there's an interesting lesson there also, which is you can go and do the extreme, but also pace yourself and keep yourself normal and healthy. And that's relevant to everything that we do. Moderation is the key. Yeah. But not easy to achieve, but it's a goal to think about. So going back, you know, to do your role and, just tell me how how did you become a chief? So in in uh, 2013, our prior chief here at University of Illinois in Chicago, uh, John Crispin, had been chief for eight nine years. John left for Ohio State to take a, a wonderful position uh, there, and I was asked to take on the interim role. The prior year, I'd been considering that, essentially trying to debate within myself whether this is a direction I wanted to go. I'd interviewed for a couple of jobs, but never advanced very seriously in, in those directions. When John left, I was very interested in keeping some continuity in things in terms of the programs that were being developed clinically and research-wise, educationally. So initially, I was approached by uh, Patricia Finn, former ATS president and our chair of medicine at the time, to to uh, take it out as interim and, and try to keep things going. And you know, essentially, that developed into the, the permanent role. So I had not sought it out directly at that time, but the opportunity presented itself. And as I was immersed in, in what was happening, it became a, a position that I, I really enjoyed pretty quickly. So when the opportunity came to take it permanently, I, I uh, very gladly accepted. And now it's been well, nine years or so that I've been in this role. So when you started thinking about it, did you actually know what the chief does? <laughs> no. And, I, and I, I don't know if you had the same experience, but you know there are some preconceived notions about it, you know, from from our interactions with the chiefs when we're younger faculty, and and uh, I guess uh, ideas of what what that means. But until I sort of immersed myself in the day to day roles, I I, uh, I was for one specific example. I was very naive about how much of this was focused on on finances and and budgets and spreadsheets and uh, RVUs and productivity measurements and all those sorts of things. I I had sort of a bigger picture, grand vision of a, of a leader coming up with these wonderful ideas and having people implement them, which is certainly part of it. And, and part of the fun part is you know, developing new programs and helping others to do that. But the day-to-day aspects, especially the bureaucratic, financial, some of the human resources aspects, you know, all that was, was somewhat a surprise to me, I have to say. So, so who taught you the work? You know, I benefited from a wonderful mentor, Skip Garcia. Skip was my research mentor when I was a fellow. At that time, he was the division chief at Johns Hopkins, where I did my fellowship. And so he really served as a, an amazing role model in terms of enormous energy and enthusiasm and productivity. And, and this is part of my naivete I, I mentioned earlier about how this, is a, you know, this job is a grand visionary builder job, because Skip was uh, amazing at that and still, still is. He was a great role model. And then, you know, from the the interim role, I started to get a, a feel for some of the day-to-day activities. Certainly at that point, I leaned very heavily on 
Patricia Finn is another wonderful role model. She had been division chief at UC San Diego before being chair of medicine here. And, and she, she was very helpful in, in shepherding me through it. And I started reaching out to colleagues. It's where the, you know, the APCCSD comes in. I got involved fairly early on within the first year of my becoming chief. And it's been you know, wonderfully supported in a lot of ways. And I think we'll get to more of that in a few minutes. And, and then frankly, Naftali, there's a lot of trial and error. <laughs> Too many errors, more than I would like, but you know that isn't always the most efficient way to learn, but it certainly is an effective one, I think, over time. So that you know, there's some mentors, some some colleagues asking their their guidance, and then kind of day to day experience. Certainly, I think that's one of the the goals of this organization that we'll talk about a little bit more is, is to really help upcoming and aspiring division directors and chiefs to perhaps have a, a better established tool set, if you will, coming into this role. It's interesting because I felt the same as you. So on one side, when I was starting to look at jobs, I sort of thought I knew it. I was a center director. I learned from people who I thought were the best, like Augustine Choi. And actually, I had a long discussion with, with Skip and Patricia because it's the nature of the people who are relatively open and offer their advice. And, and then I took the job and I realized they never told me what it was about. Uh, <laughs> And in some ways, having a vice chief for clinical affairs, Lintanui, was just an amazing leader, saved me in the first year because she actually understood the number thing exactly. And also the importance of the complex networks of relations you have, right? With hospital, university, trainees. So so I think it's a, it's an interesting component that I'm really help, happy that sort of uh, APC is I think I'm one of the people that invented this acronym and probably should get fined for it. <laughs> it is a mouthful, I'd have to say. Yeah. We were the division directors group or something of ATS before that. And you and maybe it was Ann Dixon as well were involved at that yeah. point. Yeah, that's, that's when it was being formalized and we yeah. came up with this <laughs> mouthful, exactly, APCCSD anyway. Nobody can pronounce it. So we should be in the hall of shame of division of organizational acronym. We need some better marketing or something to for yeah. branding, maybe. So um so what do you actually uh, now that you you're in the your ninth or tenth year, what do you actually like about the job? You know, the the job is so multifaceted and there's just a myriad of ways to, to make positive impact and to to really feel like doing some good. There's so many aspects to our, our missions and you know, it's somewhat institutional dependent in terms of where the focus is and what, what the leadership above us wants to emphasize. But but certainly, you know, there, there are endless number of opportunities to help grow clinical operations, research, the educational programs. The service aspect has been one that I've enjoyed quite a bit as well. And that's service both to our surrounding community, which we live and work, as well as the professional community. You know, that has really been a very rewarding part of my career. And over time, you know, this, this financial stewardship that I brought up earlier in terms of how I was least prepared for that, I think, you know, I've, I've learned a lot and I feel like we're, you know, we're making quite a bit of progress there. It is a challenge and, and uh, the pandemic has added additional uh, stresses there on the financial side of things. But even that is, is something that can be very rewarding when you, you know, the resources are limited everywhere. No one has limitless resources and to, to uh, work within whatever those constraints are and be able to build wonderful things and watch junior faculty and trainees and, and others, you know, grow and develop and uh, really thrive in these environments is, is uh, incredibly rewarding. So in some 
sense, you know, the constraints of the position also are, are something that are part of the challenge that can be also used used to your advantage in certain ways. So I, you know, I enjoy that aspect. We've we've had multiple successes over the years. You know, there's been a few things that that I'm particularly proud of. You know, when I started. So uh, what is like your? I'm sorry, I cut you off. But no, no. But uh, so what is like one of these memorable moments that you're really proud of? In terms of you know divisional development over time, you know we we've made a very concerted and positive impact in improving the diversity of our division at the fellowship level, the training level, and the faculty level, especially that we're most effective in increasing the percentage of women. My second year, I think we had our fellowship was twelve or thirteen only critical career fellows at that point. Only one was a woman. That was just a really dramatically shocking ratio. But since then, we've worked very hard. And now, you know, most years we have more women than men. And certainly that, that on the faculty side, we've gone from about 20% to about 45% women. And, and we've made some progress in, in other representative groups as well. But we're really trying to, essentially, our goal is to match our faculty and our trainees with our surrounding community, which is you know, over half underrepresented groups. So we're, we're hoping to get there. But I think my proudest moment, Neftali, really was thinking through this, I think proudest moment was during the first wave of the pandemic. And the way that the division came together, dealing with this completely new disease, dealing with our own concerns about health and safety for ourselves, our families, our loved ones, all the you know initial problems with lack of PPE, lack of data about how best to care for these patients. That, that first six months or so, the way the professionals that I work with just rose to the challenge and I mean, it was it was an honor to work with them, and I particularly remember every June we have a graduation party for our fellows who are leaving, and that was done virtually that year, of course. And it was just an incredibly emotional event. I there were tears in my eyes, tears in multiple people's eyes. So I, I was incredibly proud to be part of a group of such dedicated, amazing professionals. You know, that I think personally was an incredible highlight. I think this is something that we all feel, and maybe we've sort of moved forward a little bit too quickly because medicine is really difficult even when there's no pandemics. But I, I felt the same thing. And I, I remember uh, the first few weeks going to the MICU for some reason, you know, putting it at 95 and, well, not taking care of patients, but just visiting, but to see the morale of people and getting, and then, you know, one of my attendings just doing, running the rounds and doing the teaching as if nothing was happening very calmly. And I sort of later emailed him and I said, uh, was, or her actually, and said, I, I enjoyed to see just your calm demeanor on the, you know, outside of the room, of course, right? Because there's, and then I think her answer was, well, I trained all my life for this. I, I think it was interesting that this is that generation of fellows and attendings is the greatest generation of medicine, I think. I completely agree. I mean, this is a, hopefully a once in a hundred year pandemic. It was our opportunity, our moment, if you will, to uh, rise up to it. And the way people individually and, and collectively came together, it just, it was incredibly inspiring. And, you know, you can never maintain that level of intense effort and, and emotion for, for too long. It's just not possible. But aspects of that were so positive that I agree with what you're saying. I think we maybe we move past it a little too quickly. Uh, it'd be nice to figure out a way to, to harness that you know, at a lower, more sustainable level in some way, because the, um, it was inspiring. It was an amazing experience. And I think it's the sort of thing that those of us who went through it will be talking 
amongst ourselves over the next 20 years what it was like. Yeah. So, so now you're the president of the APCCSD. Well, I'm actually the immediate past president. Immediate past president. Yeah, I was Karen Fagan is the current president, but. So you were the president of APCCSD last year. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your organization? You are one of the first people to engage in it in a grassroots version and then sort of in the shift. So tell us a little bit about the organization. What's the aim? Yeah, we we touched on a little bit some of the things that the, the group does and, and the focus. But again, it, to give a little bit of my personal history becoming involved, I, I was a new chief and um, and Dr. Finn told me about this group from her leadership role with an ATS, and, and I, I became involved very early on as a chief. And, and back then, as you mentioned earlier, we were, you and you and Ann were I think, two of the first presidents when I was involved, and you and she took a, an amazing leadership role in sort of framing it into the APCCSD as it is now. And I think that the goal of the group, it, prior to us being involved, there had been this kind of annual forum at the ATS uh, International Conference that was always very well attended where chiefs would get together once a year and there'd be, you know, various topics on, on, on things of general interest, a lot of financial discussions, how to grow research scientists and, you know, various, various things that many chiefs are dealing with. So that was every year and every year people would sort of sit around or chat a little bit after that forum and say, boy, this is really useful. It's great to get together at a group and, and share with our colleagues, uh, division directors around the country who are dealing with similar things. It would be nice to expand that out so that we have some sort of network or group over the course of of the entire year. And that's really how, how the focus was. How could we expand from this very useful forum, which we still do every year. You know, this past year, we, we organized a forum on workforce issues coming out of pandemic, uh, which reminds me, I need to work on the white paper. I haven't finished it yet. That's been great. But what we wanted to build from that, I wrote this down because it's on the website, but I think it helps describe the general goal. It's to foster common knowledge and best practices regarding division organization and management as a resource for both Division directors, current ones, experienced ones, new and inspiring ones. So we've tried to do that in a number of different ways. And you've been very involved in some of the publication projects that come out. There's been a, a really useful, very helpful, I think, primer for new and inspiring chiefs that was published in the annals a few years ago. Another one about leading change and negotiating strategies that, and you were you were very involved with, that, that I found useful. I've pulled it out before a few administrative meetings that I've done. That's been great. So these sort of toolbox sort of things been one one aspect of the group to try to come up with some general guidelines or best practices or or ideas that people can can share to, to help with chiefs. That's been working well. The forum annual forum has been been very well attended and continues to be a good resource. We've frankly struggled a little bit with how to have some additional touch points during the year. Again, to go back to the beginning of the pandemic, the potential power and impact of this group I think was really highlighted by these spontaneous. Sunday night Zooms built up that, uh, as I remember, the first one was, was led by our colleagues at University of Washington, Seattle, who were dealing with sort of the first wave of it. And then, and then folks from New York had a, another wave and, and were educating the rest of us of what to expect. And it got here to Chicago a little bit later. But those were, those were must-see TV, essentially, every Sunday night, maybe for an hour or two. And, and it was incredibly well attended, 80, 100 people. And that went on for, for months. That was very, very useful. Since then, we've, we've had a few forums here and there during the course of the year. You know, everybody's busy. Everybody has a lot going on. But I think that the idea is APCCSD will be a resource for folks, both for big picture things, financial structure, big topic we've been struggling with years. How do you best assess faculty productivity and, and what's an appropriate way to judge folks in that way and, and assess them for 
promotion and financial rewards and things of that nature. And institutions are so different that, that that's been something we've struggled with in terms of trying to come up with guidelines. But, but I think it's helpful to talk that through. And, you know, overall, there's there's some other ways that we've tried to get things going. Some social media, you, you've worked on those efforts as well. They kind of fits and starts here. But I, I think we can, at the very least, try to highlight new chiefs and, and uh, make people aware of e- each other. Just earlier this week, for example, the, the question came out from a chief at one institution about their institution was is planning to initiate term limits for division chiefs and division directors. And the question went out, is this, you know, the norm in other places of other other institutions doing this? And this sort of organically grew out of the, the listserv and the emails and a bunch of people weighed in. And, and I think that that was helpful for the initial chief. And we asked the question and for the rest of us. So I think that the idea is to be a community. But a dynamic one that's not just meeting once a year, although that's, uh, you know, it's great to get together at the annual meeting. So as part of that, that's what these podcasts are going to try to do as well, be another resource. So it's interesting, you know, as I recall now, actually, I got involved in this group because there was a billing meeting for chiefs that was held at seven in the morning on an ATS meeting. <laughs> and I think, I don't remember if this was still Facebook or something, and I said, if they want me to attend this meeting again, they'll have to provide martinis. <laughs> and actually, Patricia Finn noticed this and sort of in her way asked me, so what's wrong with with these activities? And then she said, well, if you complain, you need to participate, right? You can't be <laughs> Actually, I've heard her say that in many meetings. <laughs> Somebody brings up a problem. She assigns that person to a task force to try to address it. Yeah. So then, yeah, then I got involved. But. I completely agree. Some of the papers, the, the APCSD, I think probably our proudest moment from my point of view is the Gender Equity Summit. That was summit. an amazing summit. Yeah, uh, so this was, I think, 2017 or 18. So yeah, I definitely loved the, I must admit that for me during the pandemic, the Sunday meetings were almost like support group. But I was impressed because people would stay two hours on the calls you had a hundred and and there were some things that definitely influenced patients uh, outcomes like the whole discussion of how long you keep people on ECMO right uh, very sort of straightforward concrete things that you wouldn't expect necessarily chiefs to discuss but also just having everybody on your screen on a Sunday after you're right it was there was something very therapeutic about that we weren't we weren't alone we we heard how people at different phases of of the process we're, we're dealing with things and it was so dynamic then in terms of i mean every week multiple new reports were coming out or case series or opinion pieces about optimal therapy and, and we got a chance to debate and talk through that it was it was incredibly helpful and and it really certainly on a personal level you know helped me immensely get through the first wave there and again speaking to how it'd be nice to to recapture some of that. I think that's the potential of this group. And, you know, people are busy. You need to provide some value for the time. So hopefully we can, perhaps through these podcasts and other other activities that people can do, consume, you know, when they have time, that it'll be a way to get some of that sense of community and discussion going. As we're sort of, uh, you know, winding down, one of the things that I like to do is, and it's part of sort of, both demystifying the chief, but also just helping people. You, you know, so I'll give you an example. Actually, I, I ask people in the fellowship interviews whether they want to be a chief. I ask it very concretely, not as uh, what are your leadership plans. And the reason is that 
I was only asked if I wanted to be a chief, I think, when I was 45. Never thought about it before, right? So maybe I would have planned, thought about leadership. Maybe I would have decided I don't want to do it, right? So I, I, I think that's almost like putting in the brains of early career people sort of the seeds of very concrete leadership thoughts, not just a general, is good. But if you were now able, right, we had, we would have had a time machine and you were able to survive the time travel and actually come back in time and discuss with yourself when you were a resident or a fellow, what is the advice you would give yourself? You know, for me personally, Natalia, this is pretty simple question to ask because I think back when I was a resident early fellowship. So I, the culture in my residency at that time in fellowship was was that each individual practitioner should be strong. Oh, that's strong work. You know, if you took care of something yourself and stayed up all night to, you know, put in all the lines or whatever, whatever it was, that, you know, that was strong work. You said problem, you you solved that problem, you took care of the patient, you didn't leave the hospital till that patient was was stabilized. That was the culture that was reinforced. And uh, I bought into that to a level that I think was was detrimental. And if I could go back in time, I would certainly tell my younger self, do not hesitate to ask for help. Do not hesitate to rely on your your colleagues and your friends. And it was not the best for me. It wasn't the best for the patients. You know, I have spent 40-some straight hours in the hospital without sleeping back then. It's not allowed anymore, thankfully, but I did that on more than one occasion. And um, as my career progressed along, it also helped me back, I think, during fellowship. I mean, it, everything from research. You know, I was I would try to troubleshoot an assay myself. I would look through the literature. I, it's a good way to learn, but it's not the most efficient. And it certainly held me back. There are so many incredibly intelligent, dynamic, creative people around who could be helpful. And so as I've gone along, I've gotten better about asking for help. It's still something I need to personally work on. I, I try to both, you know, be strong and do it myself as well as not bother people. But, I, but I've gotten better about that. It's something that this, this group, APCSD, has, has been helpful with because it's a, a forum of, of colleagues to, to ask about things and, and get input. So without a doubt, I think that the being more of a collaborative, community-driven professional, I think, is something that uh, I had to learn over time. It's incredibly helpful and rewarding. I think the younger generation, frankly, is much better about that. We, we have broken that culture for the most part, I think, so that people are you know, also focused on, on taking care of themselves because they can't help other people take care of themselves as well. So don't be afraid to ask for help. That's the dog okay. I love it. That's a great ending statement, right? Don't be afraid to ask for help. Okay. So thank you. Even as a chief. Yeah. Even as a chief. Even as a chief. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Steve. Looking forward to see you hopefully at ADS. And uh, thank you. No, well, thank you. That's all. It's been great. And yes, I'll see you at the forum. Thank you for listening for to today's episode with Dr. Dudek. Uh, this episode of From the Trenches was brought to you by the American Thoracic Society and the Associations of Pulmonary Critical Care Sleep Division Chiefs. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on the ADS website or on your favorite podcast application. Please communicate with us. If you have pitches for ideas, if you have comments, a few ideas. Uh, thank you for listening. And definitely don't miss our next episode where we meet Dr. Telly B. Laguna.